Lord, I thank you. I thank you that everything that is in us can be taken and used for your glory. Lord, we live in a culture that is passionate and talks of following our passions. But Lord, sometimes we never ask ourselves, should we be passionate about this thing? God, I thank you that you left us your word. And in your word, you teach us what passion looks like, what true passion looks like. And I pray, God, this morning that as we speak about it, we talk about it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to our hearts and to our minds. And that you would help us to understand that passion for you and the things you want will transcend anything that happens in this world. And will go to us to our next life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. For those of you visiting with us this morning, we want to say welcome to UCC. we have a lot packed in this morning's service because it's kind of a special uh, day for us. Normally, uh, we're not as, uh, as kind of uh, packed full of things, but it's okay. Uh, that just kind of gives us life. We're going to continue on our series that we started off uh, a couple weeks back called Danger Love Ahead. And the whole idea behind this series is to say that, you know, we live in, we, we, we kind of exist in a culture that's all about love and, and, and passion and desire, but no one ever asks themselves, what these things are actually doing to us and how they're actually taking us in different uh, directions. Let's recap what we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at James chapter 1. And I said to you that in James chapter 1, there are two cycles that are taking place, right? We see the cycle of maturity and we see the cycle of desire. And James gives us kind of the outcome of both of them, right? So we talk about destructive desire, right? Remember James, uh, uh, further down in the passage there, talks about what desire does, right? Desire drags us away, it entices us, and given enough time, it, 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 it conceives death, right? That's what can, desire can do, right? And we looked at how James kind of framed that and said, listen, if you follow your desires, that's fine, but understand something, at the end of that path is death. But he, he also talks about another uh, um, uh, cycle as well, too, the cycle of maturity. And he says the cycle of maturity looks a little bit different, right? There's testing, right? The testing of our faith becomes perseverance, and perseverance creates maturity. And James says what? That we're complete, lacking nothing, right? And so what we say is that what we need to understand is there's two cycles taking place. One, the cycle of desire, and that is if we follow our desires, the logical conclusion, James tells us, is that desire will lead us to death. And, and we don't necessarily mean physical death, although with some addictions and some behaviors, perhaps that could be the outcome. But what he's really concerned with, what the Bible's really concerned with, is spiritual death, right? That's why Jesus says, don't fear the one that can hurt your body. Fear the one that can take your soul. That's what you need to fear, because that is what is, will transcend this life. Well, James says that the difference between a temptation and a trial is external, right? Remember, he says desire starts off within us is we see something, we want it, we desire it, and that's when the cycle of sin begins. But James says a trial is external. It happens to us, and our response to it is what takes us and makes us something different, something more, right? And so that's kind of what we looked at last week. And I said to you that at the very end of it, we look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what James is saying is, is that, listen... The desires you have are fine as long as they're framed within what, what God wants for you. And Jesus himself says, listen, desire uh, righteousness, desire hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because in that sense, you will be satisfied. And remember I said to you, sometimes we pray to God for more things, more money, more status, uh, better job opportunities. And these are not in themselves wrong. And I said to you that God will answer those prayers with yes, no, maybe. Right? We, we don't know. But the only thing that God will always answer yes to is when we say, God, I want more of you. 
God, I want more of you. And that prayer request will always get the heck yeah from God, right? Um, I, I don't know if we understand this or not, but when we seek after God, when we ask God for his wisdom, for his spirit, the answer is always yes. It's not, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for it yet, right? I don't know if you're ready for this jelly. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know, right? I don't know what that means. Anyways, the only answer that God ever, ever turned, did he really say, yeah, I did, okay. So let's build a bridge, let's get over it. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week. Now, the person you saw this morning is a guy by the name of Cal Newport. Uh, Cal Newport is a writer, a blogger, a speaker, and I've actually stumbled across his writings and I've been very intrigued by them. Uh, Cal Newport wrote an article called Follow a Career Passion, Let It Follow You, in the New York Times a couple years back, and this is what he says in his article. Growing up, we were told by guidance counselors, career advice books, the news media, and others to follow our passion. This advice assumes that we all have a pre-existing passion waiting to be discovered. If we have the courage to discover this calling and match it to our livelihood, the thinking goes, we'll end up happy. If we lack this courage, we'll end up bored and unfulfilled or worse in law school. And uh, for him, that obviously was the worst thing. He goes on to say this. But this philosophy puts a lot of pressure on the rest of us and demands a long deliberation. If we're not careful, it tells us, we may end up missing our true calling. And even after we make a choice, we're still not free from its effects. Every time our work becomes hard, we are pushed toward an existential crisis centered on what for many is an obnoxiously unanswerable question. Is this really what I'm meant to be doing? This constant doubt generates anxiety and chronic job hopping. So what he's saying is... In our culture today, we are told to follow our passions. And it's interesting that this is predominantly the very high-level conversations that people say, follow your passions, right? It is everywhere in every uh, media outlet possible. But there is a whole body of work, of of research, that's coming underneath it saying, "This this is a horrible way to live your life. This is a horrible way to live your life. Now, let me just give you a couple ideas of why there might be some dangers with passion. First thing you need to understand is passion isn't permission. Passion isn't permission. You can be passionate about something, but that doesn't mean you should necessarily act upon it. Right? So when we, when we talk about passion, um, I, I talk to people and one person says to me, well, I'm really passionate about traveling. Who isn't? <laughs> right? Who isn't passionate about traveling? Right? Who isn't passionate about going out to staying in a hotel or someone else cook for you or not have to clean up after yourself and, and just see the sights and take pictures? And, like, who isn't passionate about that? Right? But the fact is, like, no one can actually live in that way, right? And no one can really kind of live in that way, right? So passion isn't necessarily permission, right? I'm, I'm passionate about chicken wings, right? But just to be clear, it's not a really great way to live your life. And it's, there isn't yet a chicken wing diet plan yet. I haven't found that one yet. So if I have found that, if you do know about it, please tell me. I'd like to have that link. But I'm passionate about chicken wings. Not really, but you get the idea. But it doesn't mean I should actually indulge in it. So the first thing you need to understand is passion isn't permission, the second thing I think we should say about passion is passion can be nothing more than thinly veiled narcissism. When you ask somebody what they're passionate about, it's interesting how the conversation all revolves around them. Right? And I, I was thinking about this, what I was passionate about. When I was uh, about 9, 10 years old, I was really passionate about Lego. I'm not even kidding you. I was, I was passionate. My, my friends, we were all passionate about Lego. And I remember this conversation. I don't know why I remembered it, but I was thinking about what I was passionate when I was younger. And, and I remember my, uh, a conversation my friends and I had. These are like a 9, 10-year-old conversation. And we said this. Oh, when we grow up, we're going to have a room in our house dedicated to Lego. 
we are like we're just gonna and we're gonna have like all the space Lego and and all the Lego we could possibly have and we're gonna build structures and all that right kind of like the Lego movie right right that that idea that idea we were gonna we were so passionate about Lego that we could imagine our adult lives without Lego. Well, the good news is I'm not that passionate about Lego and I I don't have a room in my house set up for Lego. My wife won't let me. But if she no, um, but the fact is though is that we can be passionate about something, but. I kind of wonder if, if we ask ourselves a question is that, are we just being narcissistic about who we are? And the third danger I think about passion, which kind of flows out of the second point there, is passion has become the pursuit of pleasure. Stop taking pictures of your food. No one cares, right? Just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, right? Stop taking pictures of yourself and putting scripture with it. No, I, 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 I still haven't figured that one out yet, right? This, a friend of mine on Facebook put a picture, and it's him with this, you know, this picture of him and... and and, you know, he's, he's a nice guy and all that, but there's a scripture there. And I, I wanted to email him saying, do you think this is applying to you right now in that context? I don't, I don't understand, right? We are passionate about many things, but really what we're passionate about is pleasure. Pleasure is the highest value we have in North American culture. And sometimes we have to say to ourselves, what we're passionate about may not necessarily be something that God wants us to be passionate about. Right? There's that line in uh, Jurassic Park, um, Jeff Goldblum, uh, I, I love Jeff Goldblum's character. Whatever character he's in a movie, he's always sarcastic and cynical, but he always says kind of the most profound things. And in Jurassic Park, he has this line, right? There's a helicopter flying to the island, they have not yet seen the dinosaurs, and Jeff Goldblum says this. Everyone is so interested to see what we can do, no one is asking themselves if we should do it. And I would say that about passion. We are so passionate about passion, but no one's maybe asking themselves, should we be passionate about this particular thing? And so this morning, as we've been kind of talking about loves and all that, I want to kind of uh, take a look at that. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to take a passage of scripture, and we're going to take a look at it. Because Paul writes the book of Romans, and, and the book of Romans, just to be clear, is like the... Um, it's like, a, it's like a 12 course meal. It is, it is, it's, it's so densely packed full of theology that it's just, it is so complex, right? But at, towards the end of it, Paul starts to lighten up a little bit, right? He starts to kind of say, you know, what he, do, what he does in letters, like, you know, make sure you say hello to so-and-so, and, and he just kind of gives us some teaching. Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says this, and, and I think this is kind of going to give us an, uh, a framework, or, uh, a way of look, going about how the Bible understands passion. In Romans 12, 11, Paul says this, Never be lacking in zeal, keep, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, right? And so when we look at this passage, we look at the scripture, if we unpack it, I would say to you this morning that this is how the Bible frames passion. And I would say to you that it is a three-part passion, right? So however we understand the world's passion, that's follow this and follow that and just chase after this. And, and just by the way, chasing after a passion does not necessarily mean you'll be passionate about it in a few years from now. And if you chase it, whether in schooling or in occupation, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be passionate about it in a few years from now. And at that point in time, you're like, oh, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go after that. It's like chasing after passion is really dangerous because what you're passionate about now, you may not be passionate about in the future. Because passion is volatile, it is fluid, it is also uh, based upon you know, what, what you're experiencing around you, and it will shift and it will change. So chasing after it is like chasing after the horizon. You can run after it, but you'll never reach it. And so the Bible actually gives us a different way of looking at it. And in Romans chapter 12, 11, Paul kind of gives us three parts. So let's kind of unpack this. The first thing you need to understand is never. 
it's interesting what Paul says. He says, never be lacking in these, these things. Now, what's interesting about that is what I think Paul is saying to us is faith without these two elements, and we're going to look at what zeal and fervor means because not many of us use that in common usage, but we, when we look at the, the language of it, we see something a bit more there. But Paul says, never be lacking in zeal and keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Faith without these two elements is dry and unfruitful. The two things Jesus spoke against constantly. Absence of these elements speaks a state of spiritual decay. So when I talk to people about what they're passionate about, I just hope that in that conversation that God may come in there somewhere. Remember I said to you this entire series kind of came from a conversation I had with someone several months ago about how passionate, how, how, how in love they were with this topic. And I see that we are in love with many different topics, but I just kind of hope that as Christ followers, as people who are trying to pursue after God, that maybe that some of us might be passionate about God, about the things of the Lord. And I think that dispassionate following of, of, of our faith is actually the, one of the biggest reasons why people don't think what we say is true. Um, I was talking to Henry and, and, and Bill, and one of the things I love about going to other countries and seeing uh, Christ followers in, in, in different contexts is because one of the things that always encourages me is how passionate they are. Right? Uh, Henry was saying that, you know, how they're talking about evangelism, just sharing their faith, and Bill said that it just, it just comes to them so naturally. Well, it comes to us very unnaturally. We, we are so fearful about sharing our faith and, 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 and what we need to do about that. We're so dispassionate about our faith that I think that the world looks around us going, if this was true, if you were telling me that there is this God and this God had this expectation of you, then I would think your life would look a little different. Remember I said to you before that if your life resembles those around you, that maybe you have not encountered the gospel at all. There's something meant to be different about us as Christ, uh, as Christ followers, as Christians. And if there is not that difference, then my, my, my suggestion is that perhaps you haven't maybe encountered the gospel at all and that you've kind of modified it to kind of suit your own uh, personalities. So be lacking in zeal. Now, this is an interesting word here because what Paul is saying is something um, kind of profound here. When he says, uh, talks about zeal, the word zeal is, is something that uh, we, we get zealous from, but the actual Greek word doesn't mean zeal as an excitement or passion, but it actually means faithfulness. So the word can be uh, uh, translated earnestness, diligence, or faithful. In Matthew 24, we see an example of this word being used in a different context. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for what the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, when I leave, who is going to be faithful, right? And again, Jesus is prophesying towards his ascension. He's saying, listen, remember he says to his disciples, I'm going to be with you for a short period of time, and then I'm leaving. My father will send the spirit. But when I leave you, who will stay faithful, right? Who will stay diligent? Who will stay earnest in their belief? And that's the question that he kept saying to his disciples and the followers as well too. That is why the Holy Spirit was so important to Christ. And that's also why he says to his disciples, it's good that I'm going away so that the Spirit may come. Right? Because the Spirit of God is meant to make that faithfulness within us. Diligence is the activity of the kingdom. It's the activity of the kingdom. What, what, what we really see when, when this word is used in the New Testament, there is always this idea of activity. Of, of faithfulness. Now, let me show you something here. There's a, there's a guy in the Bible that is only mentioned once. 
And what's interesting to me is, is what Paul says about him. In Colossians chapter 4, there's a guy named Epaphras. We, we've never heard of him before, but when Paul is getting, wrapping up his letter to the church in Colossus, he mentions this guy's name. But look what he says about him. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm and on the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. What's Paul saying? You've never heard of Epaphras. There's not a book called the Gospel of Epaphras. But Paul gives him one of the highest compliments that Paul does to any person that he writes about. And he says this, he's faithful in what he's done, what he does. He's just faithful. And you know what's interesting? So this morning we had our, our team meeting that we normally do for our volunteers here. And I'm looking across everybody in the circle there and I'm just seeing Epaphrases. I'm seeing people who are faithful and serving for the kingdom of heaven. That is one of the things I said this morning to our leadership team. One of the things I'm most delighted about with UCC is how many volunteers that we have serving in different areas, whether it's worship or, or tech or greeting or kids or even city groups, right? We have, we, I think last count, uh, I think we had like about 90 plus volunteers in our, in our database of a church about 150, 160 thereabouts. So, which I think is absolutely remarkable. But all I see is Epaphrases, individuals, men and women who are saying, you know what, I'm going to just serve. The faithfulness, the activity of the kingdom. Diligence can be defined as the movement of being faithful. And what does Jesus say? He says that those who are unfaithful are those who will be judged. I don't know why we're not more alarmed about the lack of movement in our life. The lack of growth, the lack of passion. I don't know why we're not more alarmed because... These are the exact things that Jesus says, by the way, when you stand for my father, this is what I'm going to ask you. This is what I'm going to say to you. This is how I'm going to judge and, and see how much you believe what you said. Right? He's going to look at us and saying, listen, over here is Epaphras. He was working hard for these churches. Right? Not just one church, not the church in Colossus, but Laodicea and Hierapolis as well too. I long for more uh, preferences in our churches today, right? One of the things on, our, on the update there, on the front page, the very bottom there, there's two words. It's called intentional faith. And we, 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 we use that phrase, and especially at the very beginning when UCC, we talked about it. But intentional faith is you must choose what you want to become. There's an intentionality about your faith. If you are passive in your faith, there may be a bit of a problem with that. So Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, never be lacking in faithfulness, never be lacking in the movement of what God wants for us. Because the next part is the part that we understand, right? But keep your spiritual fervor. Now, the, fer- the word fervor comes from the Greek word zealos, right? It's to boil, to be hot, right? It's this, it's this image of, of this pot boiling and, and, and water kind of boiling over, right? This, is this, this idea of like, you know, there's something heating this, this object, and it is overflowing with a response to that, right? Fervor can be just tr- simply translated excitement for God. Excitement for God. Now look at this, right? In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, this is one of Jesus's resurrection appearances, right? Jesus has res- he's been resurrected, and he's appearing to different people, right? And so Remember, he talks to these these disciples as they're heading home. And again, they're dejected. The Messiah has been crucified. So maybe Jesus himself was not who they thought they were. He was. And so they're walking back home. And Jesus, disguised, sits amongst them, but starts teaching them. And look what they say. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Weren't we just, weren't we excited about what he was saying? What did they say about Jesus? They said that he taught like no one else, right? Like the, the teachers of the law would teach, but it would be dry and it would be something that would not be really kind of exciting, right? But when Jesus taught, people were like, this guy believes it, right? This is, he's passionate about what he's talking about, the kingdom of heaven, he, and he proclaims it. And people are like, yeah, I get it, right? But did you know that this is actually a characteristic of, of life in the Bible? And we see this constantly throughout the New Testament, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. The imagery of fire and of heat is, is kind of synonymous with those who are living life in the spirit, right? Uh, I love the, the writer of Hebrews. Again, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, but he's saying this, whatever you think about God, he is a consuming fire, burning away all that is unimportant and leaving you white hot for the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, do not quench the spirit, right? The image is this idea of, of, of heat, of fire, and water being poured on to put it out, right? In uh, 1 Timothy 1, 6, 7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. But by the way, the fervor is spiritual, not emotional. See, I come from a church background where emotions are, are, are how we decide what, how spiritual you are. And the more exuberance of emotion must be how spiritual you are. And that can happen. But I've met many of individuals who are very quiet in their faith but are passionate. My mentor, Dr. Ron Kidd, again, Anglican priest, he is a quiet individual. But there is nobody else in this planet who, who, who talks about uh, passion more than he does. It's a quiet passion, but it burns deeply in his spirit. And it moves him to live his life in a way that honors Christ. This, the passion is not emotional. It is spiritual. So what, what is Paul saying here? Listen, never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual passion. I long for a day where we stop looking behind us at what God has done, and we look ahead of us to say what God is doing. I hate, I don't want to say I hate, I'm discouraged when I talk to people who are telling me about the past. As if that's only the place God exists, whether they're a youth or a young adult or uh, whenever they first encounter Christ. That's great. But honestly, I'd long for a day where people are telling me what God's doing in the future. People are hoping for, people are praying for. I've been listening to a guy named uh, Nabil Qureshi. Some of you may have recognized that name. Nabil Qureshi wrote a book called uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He was a Muslim. Uh, he was, uh, a, a, his, his father was a Muslim missionary. And he came to this crisis point of his faith and just said, he prays to Allah and says, you know, if you are, whoever you are, show me who you are. And if, if, and if it's Jesus or if it's Allah, if it's Muhammad, his prophet, like, just show me. And of course, and I say of course, but like, for my context, like, it's Jesus. And he's led to the scriptures and God brought someone into his life and kind of walked him through that. And what I find so interesting about that is Nabil used to say in his, in his testimony, and by the way, um, he has a sermon on this. I'm going to put it on our Facebook page. It's about 40 minutes. It's the best 40 minutes you'll spend. He talks about this. He says, listen, as a Muslim, I would talk to other Christians and I would ask them questions. But what I was really looking for was passion about what they believed. And the reason I didn't believe what they said is because I didn't see any passion about them. They're talking about God, they're talking about Jesus, but they're talking about it in such a way that you kind of doubt what they believed was true. It wasn't until he encounters a Christ follower who was passionate about what they believed that he kind of going, oh, maybe this is true. 
And, and please understand something. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to heap um, guilt or shame upon anybody, but I am trying to awaken you to the reality that God has not just called you into salvation for heaven, but into a life that's different than, than what we're living now. And that, yes, we fall, yes, we fail, yes, we are sinful. And again, as Paul says, he's the king of sinners. I feel like I'm the prince of sinners. Like, I, I feel that in my own life. I, I feel the sin and, 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 and my, my distance from God. I do. But that does not stop me from moving forward. It does not stop me from saying, God, I want more of you. I sent an uh, email, um, uh, a BBM to my leaders, to, my, uh, to the elders and the staff. And I said this to them. I've been just been praying. Uh, so obviously when the fall comes, we, we, you know, we want to see who's going to show up and who's going to join us, and that's all well and good. But I, I felt like God corrected me this early this week. I've been praying for people, but God said, you're forgetting something. Me. And so I sent a, 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 a message to my leaders, and I said this. In Exodus, uh, Moses uh, is arguing with God. Only Moses will argue with God. And, uh, and God says to Moses, Moses... You guys go to the promised land. I'm going to stay here because I'm so sick of you people. You, you doubt me. You, 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 you dishonor me. And Moses says this to God. This is amazing. They're at the cusp of reaching the promised land. They've been in the desert for 40 years, right? The first you know, six months, great. <laughs> but the next, 30, the next 39 years and six months, not so great. And they can just see the promised land. Off in the distance, there it is. And God says to Moses, Moses, you go to the promised land, I'm staying here. And what does Moses say? Because he's smart. He said, God, we don't want to go to the promised land without you. Your presence is what sets us apart from everybody. If you stay in the desert, we'll stay in the desert. But we will not go to the promised land without you. And God corrected me this week. He said, stop praying for this stuff, for DCC, for UCC. I started just praying for my presence. And I thought, Lord, I'm so sorry. And my, my prayer time, my prayer life just switched. It's like, Lord, I just pray that your presence would be here. I pray, God, that we would experience it, we would feel it. That's what I want, right? That it would awaken us to the passion of what God wants. I, 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 I don't want to be a pastor of a church where people are passive and asleep in their faith. Right? That's why Paul says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Let the light of Christ shine upon you. Be very wise how you live, for the days are evil. Right? This idea of passion, what Paul is saying here, is that God is meant to change us. He's meant to create within us something that's different. But there should be an excitement, not a deadness. If there is an, ex- if there isn't an excitement of your faith, that's the moment of saying, Lord, I just need more of you. Lord, I'm so passionate about my job, about how many Instagram followers I have. I'm so excited about the relationships in my life or how much money I have or how big my house is or how nice my car is. I'm so excited about that, but I'm not excited about you. And that, in that moment, you go, what have I done? What have I exchanged God for? And so here's the thing, okay? I said to you, it's three parts passion. I've talked about zeal. I've talked about fervor. But now look at this. Because now Paul frames this verse in this way. Serving the Lord, right? What is Paul saying here? That whatever you think about passion, whatever you think about faithfulness, they are meant to flow into one direction and one direction alone, and that's serving God. Our faithfulness and excitement were meant to be focused towards God. Now look at Matthew chapter 6. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly fathers know you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I don't see this verse on Instagram very often. 
I don't see this put on, on sunsets very often. Because basically the idea is that, you know, if you chase after these things, you're a pagan. You're just like every other pagan, chasing after whatever we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Jesus constantly says, unless you love me more than everything else, you can't be my disciple. Unless you love me more than mother and father, brother and sister, husband and wife, you can't be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? I am the center. I am the first priority of everything in your life. And if you seek after me, everything else will fall into place. But now look what it says there, right? Your heavenly father knows that you need them. What is he trying to say here? God is not, he's not deaf to your needs. He might be deaf to your wants, but he's not deaf to your needs. And so what's Jesus saying here? Eat, drink, wear, clothing. These are the three things people talk about passion. You could just put in travel or vacation in there and it would have got the trifecta for North American culture, right? Seek first God's kingdom. But you know why he says that? It's God's kingdom is the only thing that cannot be taken away from you. Remember I told you about the Iraqi uh, church planner last week? Remember I, I met him at that district conference and I was so profoundly affected by him where he's talking about planting churches in Baghdad and all over Iraq. And again, my head's exploding listening to this. And he's saying he's lost his business, his family's disowned him. Like all this persecution he's faced, he goes, but the only way the government can stop me is by killing me. That's the only way I'll stop. And in that moment, I'm like, how passionate is this guy about Jesus and the gospel? That he's willing to lay everything aside for him. And it's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God is asking for us and what he's uh, calling to us. We have to ask ourselves what we're passionate about, but the second thing we have to say to ourselves is, are we really passionate about it? On Monday, I posted an article on our Facebook page. Oh, by the way, if you have Facebook and you haven't liked our page, do so. I put articles and keep you up to date, all things UCC and that. The article's title was this, How Skipping a Church Affects Your Children. And the line in the article said this, Maybe the reason why our children have no love for Christ is due to the fact that we as parents do not show any love or passion for Christ, evidenced by how we prioritize our time both on Sundays and during the week. Let's evaluate where our hearts are by observing our choices. Now, what I really thought was interesting about this article was, what he's saying is that everybody is writing about young adults and youth leaving the church. Everyone's talking about that. But what no one is talking about is the parents of these young adults and youth leaving the church. Now, understand something. You could be on fire, godly, loving Jesus, and it doesn't mean your children are going to be that way. I, I've got three daughters, okay? I, I, I take nothing for granted whatsoever. But what I do believe in this article is a kernel of truth, and that truth is simply this, is I think that there are adults living a dispassionate uh, Christianity. And when you tell a child, when you tell somebody growing up that there's something more important on Sunday than God, that value goes with them. I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor I had this conversation with, with parents. My son or my daughter doesn't come to church, doesn't like come to church. Oh, who's your son or daughter? And they tell me their name. They don't think I recognize them. Well, they haven't been out for a while because of hockey. They haven't been out for a while because of band practice. They haven't been out a while because of this. And so I want to say, I don't say, but I want to say, so what you've done is you've taken this moment of, of spiritual community development and you replaced it with something else. And then you think that your children are going to think of value of God is important because you've replaced it? I said, you're kidding yourself. You're dispassionately following God and you think your kids are going to passionately follow God? I don't think so. And I thought this article was really interesting. And 
a little uncomfortable, especially for me as a parent, because what we have to say to ourselves is our choices reflect our value. And whatever you think about Sunday morning, please understand something, okay? I grew up in church, and I remember my mom dragging me to church on Sunday morning, okay? You think I talk long. Our pastor talked for an hour and 15 minutes. It was a long service. It was, just, it was over the top, right? And for a young kid with... I don't think I had ADHD, ADHD, but my wife thinks I did and still does. But for that kid, I'm like, ah, right? Just sitting there in the pews like, I got to do something. I got to run around. And I'd like be biting on the wood pews, just teething or whatever. I don't know. I was just going crazy, right? But I'll tell you what, apart from all the craziness of, that goes on in my brain, one value my mom and my dad didn't instill upon me was church. Nothing would replace it. You're sick, go to church, you'll get healed. Not even kidding you. That, you, there was, like, there was nothing that would replace church on Sunday morning. And do you know what I believed? That I may not have liked it. I may have thought it was boring or not entertained by it. God forgive me for using those words to talk about church. But I did know this, that my mom and my dad believed this to be true. And that God had a place in our family. And that whatever would happen, whatever would go on forward, you would never replace this moment. And please hear me very clearly what I'm saying. Okay, because this is not popular today. A Sunday morning or a spiritual gathering of believers is, is vital to the spiritual, vet, the, the thriving within your faith. There is no replacement for it. I've yet to see it. It doesn't exist. And what's interesting to me is that when I, when I see Henry talking or I see other pastors around the world talking, they don't talk about not getting together. They talk about getting more. We, we agonize over Sunday morning. They're trying to get together every day of the week to pray. Their passion for what for gathering is, is, is far surpasses us. And then we look at them going, well, why is God working over there? How can people can become to Christ over there? Do the math. Okay, just do the math. Okay, all right, I'm almost done here. Okay. I know, I know, I know, right? Okay. Biblical passion. Oops, I hit it twice. Um, biblical passion. Yeah, let me go back here. Okay. Um, when you're excited and pushing buttons, it's a bad idea. Okay, let me go here. Biblical passion is three parts. I said to you it's three parts. It's this. Faithfulness, spiritual excitement, plus serving God. This is how the Bible defines passion. You are faithful in whatever God's placed in front of you. And you know what faithful means? It's not wishing for things to be different. God, if I was only in this church, if I, God, if I only had that job, or if I only was in this school, or that program, God, if only these things were different externally, then I would serve you. That's not being faithful. That's called excuses. Wherever you are, whatever is in front of you, God's placed you there. Just be faithful. And when he wants to move you from that, he will. Just be faithful. Spiritual excitement. Excitement of the gospel. Excitement to know that Jesus, the Son of God, died upon the cross for your sins, my sins. And our, the grace of God is now poured upon us so that we have life and life more abundantly. That excitement. Right? And then finally, that excitement is what? To serve God. And serving God does not necessarily mean serving church on Sunday mornings, right? That can be an aspect of it. I think it's a very important aspect of it. But it means every day, everywhere you go, Monday to Saturday, you are serving God by what you, how you live, how you act, how you behave. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Bible keeps saying to us, your desires and your passions are great, but they can lead you astray. 
And we crucify those things which separate us from God. We crucify those things which move us away from a passionate following of God. Here's the takeaway this morning. I know life gets complicated. I know life gets... uh, You can end up in places you never expected yourself to, relationally, financially, and job-wise, career-wise, schooling. I understand that. But the one thing that cannot be exchange, one thing that cannot be given away is your excitement and passion for God. And if it is, that is your first symptoms of spiritual death. And you need, at that moment, to say, Lord, I just need more of you. Because that is a prayer that God always answers with yes. It's yes. Lord, I need more of you. Yes. Lord, I need to understand your will. Yes. Lord, I, wanna, I just want to be passionate for you. Yes. Now, how he achieves that, that's, that's, another, that's another conversation altogether. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. We're going to celebrate communion together. But as I do every week, I just want to do once again, as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I just want you to think. I just want you to take a moment to assess your spiritual health. I've talked a lot about passion. Spiritual excitement. But I know there's some people here this morning that are sitting here and me saying that seems so distant from where you actually are. When I ask you about spiritual excitement for God, some of you respond, I haven't felt that and I don't know how long. And that's the moment you get to say, Lord, First, forgive me. Forgive me that I'm more excited about a vacation. Forgive me I'm more excited about my job, my school, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my husband, my wife, whatever it would be. Forgive me if I'm more excited about that than I am about you. And the second thing you say is, Lord, pour your spirit down upon me. Give me more of you, Lord God. We're going to celebrate communion. And what I love about communion is that there's this time of thinking, of meditating. And we get to do that. And as you hold the cup, as you hold the bread, you have that moment of saying, Lord, this is a representation of what you've done for me. And because of that, I can do no less than live my life fully for you.